Let's open up to Proverbs chapter 30. This is a really cool proverb. There's actually a lot to it. Um, I kind of wish maybe I should have sliced it up into two studies, but um, what I guess we'll end up doing is kind of skimming the surface in one sense. And then I would encourage you guys, when you go home, you open up uh, your encyclopedias or whatever, you go online and you check out you know, how snakes move or how eagles fly or, or what a hyrax is or just all these different things that we see. When we look at creation, we see God's hand. And so um, a lot of cool things today. My, I'm just so blessed to see you guys coming out on a Thursday studying Proverbs because um, I really do believe that as we're in this book that God will give us that wisdom that we need to live a, a life uh, that is spiritually successful. And so a lot of the things, I don't know if you guys have read the Proverbs over and over again, but we've heard them a lot, but we need to be reminded of these things because I think that what ends up happening is when we, you know, you ever heard that saying, out of sight, out of mind? That can happen, and next thing you know, you make a decision, or you get mad, or you, you, know, you drop the ball in you know, the areas of sexual temptation, whatever it might be, and it just ends up ruining your life. And so that's why it's really cool to be in the Proverbs. And so we read in verse 1 that they're the words of Agur, the son of Jaca, his utterance. This man declared to Ithiel, to Ithiel, and to Eucal, in verse 2, surely I am more stupid than any man and do not have the understanding of a man. I neither learned wisdom nor have knowledge of the Holy One. And so the words of Agur, the, the first question is everybody asks, who is Agur? We don't know, okay? There is no information about this guy. All we know is his name, it literally means gathered, and he's the son of Jaka, whose name means blameless. And so I don't know if that has any significance. Agur gathering these proverbs from his dad, who maybe is a righteous guy, I don't know. But um, we do know that he was moved by the Holy Spirit to give us this awesome chapter, this word of wisdom here in Proverbs 30. And the cool thing about this guy is that he knows it's not him. And that's very important, I think, uh, for a, a Bible teacher, for a pastor, for an author, uh, for a Christian, to know that if there ever is any words of wisdom that would flow through any of us, it is not us. It is not us. It's really awesome to acknowledge who we really are apart from God. And that's what he does here in verse 2. He says, uh, we don't really use this word in our house, the S word. <laughs> to be honest, we're not allowed to say that, but he says it right here. And um, I, at the same time, I have to admit that apart from God, this is the exact description of who I am, that I am, surely I am more stupid than any man. And so um, Agur has that understanding. He's an author of the Bible, and yet he knows um, who he is in his natural or fallen state. Now, he's not talking about things academically. He's not talking about uh, things in that sense. Uh, he's just talking about uh, spiritually. And I think, you know, he's not the only guy in the Bible who saw himself like that. Uh, Psalms 73 and verse 22, Asaph said the same thing. I was so foolish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. 
And so um, it's just good for me to acknowledge who I really am apart from the Lord because it, it helps in so many ways. Uh, I pray that you guys would know that. I pray that you would know that if you're ever listening to a pastor or whatever it is, you like that teacher, you like that person, and you begin to put them up on a pedestal, don't. Don't, because there's a lot of reasons not to, but we have to understand that if there's anything good, it comes from the Lord, and the, maybe the Lord's done a good work in people, but for us, just to have that understanding that um, the best of men are, are men at best, and at, 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 the, at the end of the day, we're very, very bent and, and, and wicked and wretched and depraved in and of ourselves. And if I don't remember that about myself, um, I'm, there's a lot of bad things that can happen. I can become unusable because I might become prideful or I can also um, fall, you know, because I think that I'm, you know, something good when I'm really not. And so I really like the way that he calls himself this. And I, and I think that this type of honesty and humility is a real precedent for spiritual maturity you know, if an individual is a know-it-all, they're like, I know everything, I, you know, I, you don't have to teach me, I've been a Christian longer than you, or whatever it might be, then um, they will not strive for wisdom. Uh, they will not strive to hear the voice of God. They will not strive to understand. And so it's just good to know, for me to know that, you know, if I'm facing a decision, an important thing that I have going on, and I don't pray about it, I just do it maybe because I think I have enough Bible knowledge behind me. I'm in big trouble. I have to really hear the voice of God and I have to pray about everything because if I'm left to myself, I'm going to mess it all up. I have not mastered wisdom, nor do I know all there is to know about God is basically what he says in verse 3. I neither learned wisdom nor have knowledge of the Holy One. As a matter of fact, for those of you who have studied theology and the Bible and things like that, and just anything, it could be astronomy, you guys know, huh, the more you learn or the more you know, the more you realize how much you don't know, huh? That's the way it is. And so Agur, he had some questions. Look at verse 4. It says, who has ascended into heaven or descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has bound the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is his son's name? If you know. You know, it's not about a gore. It's about the one who made everything. You know, and it's kind of cool how he goes there, talking about our creator. Uh, and then this has always been an absolutely amazing section of scripture to me. You guys think about it, and now you guys know the answer, huh? Who has descended? Who has ascended? Who gathers the, the wind in his fist? Who put the waters at their boundaries? Who's the one that, that did all this? What's his name? And what's his son's name? You guys know those two things, right? That his name, remember in, in Exodus 6, he revealed himself to, to Moses and you know, we see it throughout the scriptures. Uh, his name is I Am or Yahweh. You know, um, the self-sustaining one, the self-existing one. I Am, whatever you need. It's an amazing name, how God has revealed himself to us. 
And then we have his son's name in the New Testament. We have in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, Philippians it says that his name, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so one of the things that you'll find when you're studying the Bible is woven into the Old Testament are these mysteries. It's not implicit, and it's not explicit, but is implicit in the Old Testament. So even those in the Old Testament, they didn't really understand the Trinity, but it's there, tucked away and revealed blatantly in the New Testament. And so you have his name and you have his son's name. And it's such a cool thing uh, to see here. Verse 5, it says, Every word of God is pure, and he is a shield to those who put their trust in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you, and you be found a liar. And so I love just the progression here. I love the way he says, first of all, I'm nothing. Make sure you guys know that. That guy's messed up, okay? <laughs> Even though he wrote a chapter in the Bible, in and of himself, there's nothing there. And then he points to God, and he's talking about the Father and the Son, and then he points to the Word of God. And you guys, we might take these things for granted, but there's a whole world out there that doesn't know these things. They think that they are smart. Uh, they, uh, they, they don't know God's name. Like you ask them, what's God's name? Although, oh, it doesn't matter what you say. You can say Allah. That's, that's fine. Or you can say Brahma. That's fine. They're all the same. No, they're not all the same. You know, Allah is a God of Islam, and he's a God who says, you go to heaven, you go to hell. He's a very angry God. He's not a personal God. I mean, Islam is completely different, where in order for you to go to heaven, I mean, just the crazy things in the Quran and the way you have to earn your way to salvation, very different, Allah or Brahma. Brahma is the Hindu God, and you know, what you find in that teaching is that, you know, if you're good enough through a successive you know, generations of reincarnation, eventually you might reach nirvana and then you lose your identity when you become a drop in the pond. It has nothing to do with a personal relationship with God. So to know his name, you guys know his name. You guys know this Bible. You guys know Jesus. I mean, praise God for that. And so for us, as we're going through this and now pointing to the word, that's why you guys are here. I know that, you know, we're here to gather together in fellowship, to worship, and then, Lord, teach me your word, plant it in my heart that I might not sin against you. You are what you eat, and you guys love the word, and I know that about our church, and we know this right here, every word of God is pure. Uh, we're blessed by his name, we're blessed by his word, and what we see right here is every single word is pure, it's tried, it's true, it's tested, you know. Uh, Psalm 12 and verse 6, it says the same thing. The words of the Lord are pure, like silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. We read the same thing in Psalm 19, verse 8. And then Psalm 119, 140, it says, Your word is very pure, therefore your servant loves it. And so, um, just the purity of God's word uh, brings the power of God's word, which brings protection to us. That as you learn God's word and you have the grace to live it, God will protect you in that. 
And I, the, the cool thing that is so cool, uh, you guys, and I know, man, you're in the Word a lot. A lot of you are. If you're not, I want to encourage you to. But the more of the Word you know, in one sense, it's like a bigger shield. And so the way that it is, is a picture of a big shield in front of you. I was thinking of Captain America. He has his shield, right? And I was thinking, his shield is probably pretty cool, right? But ours is better, huh? <laughs> For sure. I mean, that's a little shield. I mean, I believe that when you learn God's word, if you can visualize yourself, you get behind it. And I believe that in one sense, like the more you know God's word, I think in one sense, the bigger the shield is almost. If you could visualize it like that. And then your key, our key is just to stay behind it. Stay behind it. He himself is our shield. Do you know what the enemy would do? You know what would happen to you or your family if you were not rooted in God's word? We would lose the shield of protection. And so I'm just so grateful to God for his word. Obedience to his word, which is pure, provides power and protection. And Psalm 18, verse 30 says, As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in him. You know, and we trust in God, I think in just a, like a general sense, like, I, Lord, I know you're going to protect me. Lord, I know you love me. Lord, I know you're with me. I know you've saved me. But we also trust in God by doing things his way. You know, the world might say, hey, try this, or the flesh might say, oh, go ahead and do that. But you're like, no, I'm going to do things God's way. And that's another way of expressing your trust in him. In Genesis 15, verse 1, it says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. And so Abram, you guys know his story, man. He traveled. He was a, a pilgrim. He didn't look to this world. Um, God gave him some promises as far as the land and the descendants and through his lineage, the Messiah would come. But it was not an easy life. It wasn't. He worked hard and he was blessed in many ways, but it was not easy. And so God just encouraged him, hey, just keep following me. You know, in the armor, I was thinking about Ephesians chapter 6 that the shield was used to quench all the fiery darts of the enemy. And, you know, that's what God's word does. Uh, I think, or we're going to see it later, even right now, we're just about to get into it, how the enemy is just a liar. And he'll lie to you. He lies to us. Uh, some of them are propagated. Some of them are very personal, those darts that he throws our way. And um, when we have the truth, we quench all those fiery darts. I visualize it, believe it or not. I visualize it like these missiles that are launched in your direction. And I, when I'm praying for my wife, sometimes I'll pray that, Lord, be that shield where, first of all, don't allow the enemy to launch those missiles. I'll pray that prayer. But if you do, Lord, please absorb them by your atmosphere because you know how the atmosphere can absorb you know, certain you know, aspects of things that enter in. But if for some reason you allow it to get further and to reach her or me or whoever it might be, Lord, I pray that you help them to lift up the shield of faith 
wherein they could quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Because when the devil comes and he lies to you, and he'll do it all the time, he has not changed his mode of operation all these years because it's been effective. A lot of times we allow that lie to find a place in our mind and then a home in our hearts, when in all reality there's no truth to it. So, you know, praise God that, that he is our shield um, and as we, you know, get into God's word and we learn about who God is and how much he loves us and how trustworthy he is, then there is that aspect of protection. And, and whatever we do, we don't want to mess with that shield. It says in verse 6, do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. And so... We have the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Um, it's, there's a warning in Revelation 22, 18 to 19. Don't add to the word. It's done. Jude also tells us the same thing. The faith once and for all delivered to the saints. There's not going to be any extra addendums uh, or other books. Like, unfortunately, the Mormons, they have added books, they say, that are supplemental to the Bible. No, you don't add to it in any way. It's done. It's written. It's sealed. So um, be careful that we don't add to it in any way, whether it be a formal book like some of these religions have, or whether it be us, you know, putting our own rules and regulations and legislations, and next thing you know, we become legalistic. No, just let it, let the Bible speak for itself. You know, what Satan did with Eve is he came, first of all, and he questioned the word, and then after that, he added to the word. We can't add to it. We can't. Because otherwise, we're going to get in, in big trouble, whether it be modern liberalism or modern legalism. Verse 7, uh, he says, Two things I request of you. Deprive me not before I die. Remove falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and still and profane the name of, I, of my God. And you know what? It, it's kind of interesting. This is a prayer. It's a prayer of Agur. Have I ever shared with you guys or have you ever heard it said it's really safe to pray Bible? You can pray Bible. You know how we talk a lot about memorizing verses? This would be really cool to memorize. So you're, sometimes people, when they're praying, they're like, I don't know what to pray. You can just pray uh, the prayers of Ephesians 1 or whatever. You can pray this prayer, two things. Lord, please don't deprive me before I die. Remove falsehood and lies far from me. Lord, and just keep me in that place, not too much, not too little. An interesting prayer, huh? Because most of us would pray, Lord, help me win the lottery. If you, uh, some people tell me, hey, Manny, if I win the lottery, we're going to buy you a, a, a building for the church or whatever. It's funny. And, you know, they don't realize how dangerous that is. Really, it's, it's funny. But, but these are prayer requests from Agur. Number one, that he would be distanced from deception and that any and all lies would be far away from him. And we know, of course, that the enemy is a liar. John 8, 44 talks about he's a murderer and a liar. And when he speaks lies, he speaks from his own resources, that the language of Lucifer is lies. And so, you know, as an individual, um, it's interesting how he says, deprive me not before I die. 
It's almost like he's saying, Lord, put this on my bucket list. That's interesting. Most of us would say, well, before I die, you know, I want to go to France. Or before I die, you know, I want to go to Jerusalem or Israel or whatever it might be, which is cool and that's fine. Um, but here he's saying, before I die, help me come to this place in my life where I stop believing the lies. We remove it far from me. And it, it tells me that he's desperate, that he's, he's actually probably struggled with it himself because they find their way into our hearts and the enemy uses it to control us and to depress us or stress us out, our culture, and rob Christians even of their joy. You know, it, it could be anything from evolution that God didn't make you or, um, you know, the delusion that God doesn't love you. And for some reason, we listen to those lies. God doesn't love me. They don't love me. Nobody loves me. You know, when you're in a room, you're with 100 people, and you feel like you're all alone, you're all by yourself. Where does that come from? Where does that come from? That's not the Lord. The Lord wants you to know your love. The Lord wants you to fellowship. The Lord wants you to not worry uh, about what people think of you. Just love people. You know, but for whatever reason, the lies creep in. You know, God didn't make you. God doesn't love you. And so many other lies. And so, you know, I, I have to even examine my own life. A lot of times, you know, what lie is the enemy telling me? You know, we need to know that as we walk in the truth, that it, it's, it really is it's freeing for us. That's what the Bible says in John 8, verse 32. Now, we can pray like Agur did here, or, or as the psalmist does in Psalm 119.29. He says, remove from me the way of lying and grant me your law graciously. So I don't want to believe lies. I don't want to tell lies. I don't want to live a lie. I want the truth. I want my waist girded with the truth. I want to live it. And just, man, Lord, before I die, set me free. Set me free. And then the second thing he asks before he, he dies in verse 8 and 9 again, notice he says, remove uh, falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me. Thank you, Lord, for in and out. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> So good, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. And most of you here probably say, I would never steal. I would never steal. Well, what if you didn't have any food? What if your, your kids didn't have any food? What if you were desperate? You might. Yeah, living in America, it's a lot different than living in other places. And so all he's saying is, Lord, let me be in that place where you want me to be. You know, he knew what Jesus said in Matthew 19, 23. Jesus said, uh, Surely I say to you that it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. You know, Agur, this guy is kind of cool. He's really honest about how, you know, slow or stupid or whatever he is apart from God. And he's really honest about like, you know, like most of us here would probably say, I could handle it. But he's saying, I don't, I don't even want to go there. I, I, Lord, I don't know. That's not a good thing. He knew the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. They choke the word, and he can become unfruitful. It might waste his life. 
you might think. And I was looking at, I don't know if you guys ever do this. I probably shouldn't do this. But the other day I was looking at the Mercedes Benz. The, um, the, uh, they have this new uh, SUV. Oh, man, $269,000 vehicle. It's just amazing. Now, if you ever get one of those, can I have a ride? But <laughs> I was tripping out on this thing. Of course, you know, probably shouldn't look at it. Uh, of course, I know it's out of my league. But man, amazing, amazing what's out there, huh? And so, you know, when you start accumulating things, and next thing you know, you have a lot of possessions, they start vying for your affection. They start vying for your time. They, and sometimes they might possess you. So it, it really takes a, a special person with a specific calling to be rich, you know, in our standards. And so that's why Agur, he prays, Lord, um, I don't want the cares of this world or the deceitfulness of riches to choke the word out in any way. I know you have a calling on my life. We all do. We all have a calling on our life, you know, with our family and whatever gifts we have in life. And I tell you what, it is easy to get sidetracked. And so, Lord, uh, please, um, don't give me too much, but please, Lord, don't give me too little, right? And Agur knew his own weakness, that if maybe he couldn't make ends meet, if he didn't have a job to put food on the table, he might end up stealing and dealing in dishonest ways. And so, you know, I don't know. Um, you know, we do that, next thing you know, uh, hey, they're like, hey, isn't that the pastor or isn't that the Christian guy, you know, whatever, and he says, Lord... I, I got uh, the main reason, not because, um, you know, I don't like beans and rice. That's not, not the main reason. But the main reason, Lord, is because I want to make sure that my life is a testimony, that my life doesn't dishonor you. And you guys know, right? People are watching. They're watching us. And so, you know, and I know we should probably have a little bit of money in the savings account if you can. You know, because I think, you know, it's good to do that. We'll talk about the ant in just a little bit. But um, in, in a general sense, this individual, they don't have a whole lot. Almost like living paycheck to paycheck. Verse 10, it says, Do not malign a servant to his master, lest he curse you and you be found guilty. And so the word malign, it means to criticize someone and the King James uses the word accuse. Most other translations use the word slander. And so, you know, you're at work and uh, you're talking to your boss about one of your, uh, your, you know, fellow workers. He said, don't talk smack about them. You know, it's not a good thing. You think that you're going to get a promotion? What he says right here is you might end up getting a, a demotion. <laughs> and so be careful uh, with that. In verse 11, it says, There is a generation that curses its father and does not bless its mother. And how important it is to honor our parents. You know, when we get into this next section right here, we're going to be talking about uh, uh, the generations or, or a class or a group of people. Now we have, what, what are we in now, you guys? Generation what? XYZ, millennium, I don't know, millennials. They have all these different names for the different generations. And I know I don't know the current uh, uh, whatever title. But, um, you know, society, what we find is these generations follow generations. 
Um, he's saying there is a generation, unfortunately. We'll talk about the different ones right here. And, and what basically, have you guys ever done the, the relay race? You've done the relay race, right? You pass the baton on to the next generation, right? It's our responsibility to do that uh, as a church, as, as parents, with our children, because if not, if we neglect our responsibility with the next generation, then he's saying right here, it can create some, some big problems. Uh, parents have the primary responsibility for their children. I know a lot of times parents will say, well, it's the church. They're, they're supposed to take care of my kids or my youth. It's a youth pastor, young adults pastor. I guess, well, they're already adults and stuff. But, you know, it's the pastor uh, you guys be careful with that. Parents, if just think if every parent, and there's no perfect parent, but if we can just lift up clean hands and say we, we did the best, you know, to be a witness, to love our children, to teach them God's word, to pray for them. You know, if every if every Christian parent did that, man, imagine how 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 this world I think would, would be different. You know, Psalm 145, verse 4, it says, One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. And so one generation, boom, you know, to another. It's, it's something, unfortunately, that the Jews failed to do in their day. And after all that God had done in granting them the promised land, we read in Judges chapter 2, verse 10, that when all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them, who did not know the Lord, nor the work which we had done for Israel, which he had done for Israel. And so, um, I don't know, we just have to make sure that um, we, we pass the baton on. I, I think I heard somewhere about how the first generation, they kind of earn uh, the, the spoils. The second generation enjoys the spoils. And the third generation spoils the spoils, if you know what I mean. And so... We really have to ask God for wisdom in passing the baton on. You know, I was thinking about this LGBTQ, uh, you know, movement that we're experiencing as, as a nation right now. And, you know, is it, I mean, is it like the Democrats' fault? You know, and I understand the, the political spins that they have. And, yeah, you know, that's unfortunately their agenda. Or they'll blame it on our president, which I understand his part in that, that he's got to push for that, right? But, but is it really that, is that why this is all happening? I think that in a large part, we're seeing this as a reflection of our society. And, and even in one sense, the failure of the church to be the church. Because if, if the people were saved, you know, if the people were saved, then I don't think this would happen. You know, the culture that we're living in here in the United States of America is, is drifting from being Christian. And even the church, it, visible, has no power. The, the church, visible, is immoral. Uh, and they're not just influenced by the world. Now they are infiltrated by the world. And so the church, and you just, it makes you wonder, like, are they the church? Are they really the church who would say that this type of lifestyle is okay? The answer is no. And so for us, passing the baton on to the next generation is so important. It requires uh, that spiritual maturity. And there is a generation in verse 11 that curses its father and does not bless 
its mother. And that's why I think it's kind of cool to start there with the parents. You know how important it is to honor our parents. This is the fifth commandment of the ten, and it's the first with promise. It says in Exodus 20, verse 12, Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. And so I see the same thing in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 through 3, but there it says that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And so the Old Testament was saying, honor your parents and you guys are going to be in this promised land, a place of victorious Christian living, a land flowing with milk and honey. It was a great place, but now in the New Testament, it gets morphed a little bit and it says, honor your parents that you can live a long life, a general promise that's how important it is to God. And so the kids that are here, those of you who still have parents, I want to encourage you, honor them. Sometimes we do it out of duty, not as much a, a devotion, but every situation is different. Uh, for the kids, I want to encourage you, honor your parents. And for those of you who are parents, or maybe you're going to be, in, you're going to be future parents, not that you're um, tyrants, but this is important to make sure that you hold your children to this uh, because there is a generation, he says right here, that, that curses. If you look down at verse 17, notice it says, the eye that mocks his father and scorns obedience to his mother, the ravens of the valley will pick it out and the young eagles will eat it. We have a video of this. I'm just joking, we don't. So in those days, they would, hang, um, they would hang the individual. And so the raven comes, and he plucks out that eye, and he takes it home to his you know, little kids. Hey, we've got a little delight tonight. Get to eat. Just to let you know, this is important to God. I've told you guys a million times, I believe it's so true, that the fabric of society is family. It really is. And so, again, it doesn't mean that if you raise your children in the ways of the Lord that it's an absolute guarantee that they'll serve the Lord. But let's, you know, let's do our best, you know, that we can live clean hands and, and not neglect our family. Just make sure we pass a generation on uh, to the next generation. Exodus twenty one seventeen says, And he who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. And so that was the Old Testament law. And just kind of give you a little understanding of how important it was to God, how important it is. Verse 12, it says, There is a generation that is pure in its own eyes, yet is not washed from its filthiness. And so, again, this is a, a self-righteous generation. Maybe they're moral or they're stable citizens, educated, sophisticated, whatever, dedicated to their cause. But we need to know that if they don't know the Lord then they are still in their filthy sins. And so the world today will think morality and charity and religion and ceremony, I'm okay with God, and you're not. You know, the way, and you guys know this, we've got to share it with those that the Lord brings into our path. You need Jesus. You need Jesus, because Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, it says he's the one that washes away our sins in his own blood. Verse 13 says, there is a generation, oh, how lofty are their eyes, and their eyelids are lifted up. And, and basically what we have here is uh, uh, the generation of pride and how uh, they have, you know, this look. Uh, Proverbs 6, uh, 16 and 17, it 
tells us seven things God hates, and the first thing on the list, it says, is a proud look. And that's what lofty eyes are. And so I, I pray, you guys, that we would never um, have that pride, you know, that we allow to take over. I think it's something that we might all struggle with because it's in us. It's the root of all sin. But, you know, when Jesus was nailed to a cross and he was humiliated the way he was, he was our example to us that we might humble ourselves, the Bible says in the book of Philippians chapter 2. Verse 14, it says, There is a generation whose teeth are like swords and whose fangs are like knives to devour the poor from off the earth and the needy from among men. And so um, it's a spiritual form of cannibalism, thinking about that. They have these teeth, they're like swords, and their fangs are, are like knives, and they're just devouring the poor. And if you read the book of Amos, I encourage you when you get a chance, well, eventually we'll get there if you're reading through the Bible, you're going to see he talks a lot about that, how the leaders and how some would just, they don't care, they just devour the poor, they swallow up their property, they treat them like a piece of property, Um, they deny them justice, they defraud them, undermine them, overtax them, you name it, God sees all that. And and today I was talking to an individual on the phone and He's, you know, going through some struggles um, because of the fact that he had a small business and what ended up happening was he kind of like um, merged with a large company. And so, you know, the thing that he discovered, however, is a large company, when you're in a really big company, you're just a number. They don't really care. And he has a heart and he really cares for individuals. And so he's witnessing how the big guys with all the money a lot of times they don't care uh, about the little guys. So um, we read that here. Now, the next verse, it gives more details about this generation. Um, and it says in verse 15, the leech has two daughters, give and give. And so we have a picture of a leech. Now, if you don't want to see it, no, I'm just joking. I, I, we should have we uh, had a graphic of a leech. They're, they're pretty amazing. Uh, you guys know leeches are known for being uh, blood-sucking, selfish takers, right? Um, but they're, they're kind of fascinating. They say a leech's body is composed of 34 segments. Uh, they have uh, an anterior and oral suckers attached to six other segments of their body, which is used to connect the host for feeding. And they have, uh, it's interesting, this uh, segment, not only does it suck, but it also releases an anesthetic to prevent the host from feeling the leech. And so it's a combination of mucus and suction caused by the concentration of those segments that what they do is they uh, actually will drink blood out of its host weighing as much as itself in as little as 15 minutes. And so I know I weighed over 150 pounds. Imagine that, drinking 150 pounds of blood in 15 minutes, and that's what they do. They're just takers. And I don't know how you guys feel about this. Uh, I don't know for sure, but I think they say there are the givers and there are the takers in life. And I think for maybe there is some truth to that, that for some it comes more naturally to give, and for some it comes more naturally to take. But if you're a taker, 
I want to encourage you to go against the grain of who you are. We can't just be those that are entitled, those that take. We have to make sure that we discipline ourselves and we are obedient. As we read the word of God on the importance of not just taking, but, but giving. Look at verse 15b. It says there are three things that are never satisfied. Four, never say enough. The grave, the barren womb, the earth that is not satisfied with water, and the fire never says enough. And so these are things that in one sense, you know, they're, they're never satisfied. And we know that people uh, die by the thousands every single day. You have the grave or shield, uh, the barren womb. In those days, this was seen as something uh, as shameful to have in, in society. Uh, of course, we know it still can be tough, but the New Testament reveals more clearly that the righteous don't always experience these things, um, prayerfully, there's a satisfaction um, with the Lord. Uh, I remember reading about Hannah because what ended up happening was uh, it made um, these individuals have struggles like Hannah and uh, Sarah. It made Sarah sin and Hannah weep. Um, uh, but we find that, unfortunately, even today, people struggle with that. What we have to find is that contentment must be found in our personal relationship with God. You know, even though the world might tell us different things. The third thing mentioned here is the earth, which uh, with its never-ending water cycle. And the fourth thing mentioned is the fire. It never says no. It never says enough. Left to itself, it continues to burn as long as there's fuel. And so just things to think about. That's a trip, man, how that works. Verse 18, there are three things which are too wonderful for me. Yes, four which I do not understand. The way of an eagle in the air, the way of a serpent on a rock, the way of a ship in the midst of the sea, and the way of a man uh, with a virgin. And so, again, just kind of seeing how beautiful these things are, observations that he's making and uh, he talks about the eagle. Um, I was reading a little bit on them, how they can fly up to a mile high during migration. And during that flight, they very seldom uh, flap their wings. They use thermal updrafts to gain altitude. And they can go as fast as 70 miles per hour. Think about that. It must be fun, huh? Probably in heaven, we'll be able to fly like that. <laughs> I don't know. Either that or we'll just kind of snap our fingers and go. The, the eagle, the snakes, they have four ways of moving. They can throw themselves forward. They can lift up their bodies in the middle and then push. Uh, they also have ways of using surfaces and bumps uh, to go forward, and they can even use the scales of their body to grip the ground on the rock, which is more impressive, and move forward. And so just a trip. He mentions the ship in the midst of the sea, and the ship is a man-made vessel, but as it yields to the God-made ocean, it's a pretty impressive uh, feat in which it turns out, you know, to be able to get an individual and carry all this weight to his desired uh, destination. And then the last thing he mentions right here is the union between husband and wife. Uh, such a, a lovely gift, if you think about it, such a lovely gift that, you know, this is how we have our children, you know. And so God is an awesome God. He really is. And so as Agur is looking at all these things, he's making these observations. You know, like when I went in the backyard the other day and I saw a hawk, you know, flying. I'm like, wow, Lord, amazing the things that you've made.
Verse 20, it says, this is a way of an adulterous woman. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I have done no wickedness. And so um, be careful. Be careful, you guys. There are people out there that have absolutely no convictions, none. And you might think that's impossible, you know, but they're, they're out there. And so it can be an adulterous woman. It can be an adulterous man. And I love the way that as we're going through the Proverbs, and I encourage you to try to read one every day, that is always re- warning us against uh, sexual sin. Uh, verse 21, for three things the earth is perturbed, yes, for four it cannot bear up. For a servant when he reigns, a fool when he's filled with food, a hateful woman when she is married, and a maidservant who succeeds her mistress. And so these three things, the earth is, is perturbed. It, it makes it tremble, uh, Agur says. It's almost like you can't uh, endure this. And the first thing he mentions is a servant who reigns. And basically, this is an individual who's not ready or equipped to lead. You know, um, they, they have the mentality that others should serve them. Definitely not a reference to a servant leader. Uh, uh, an example in the Bible might be Felix. He was a slave and he was exalted and he was a terrible leader. Uh, he was oppressive. And a lot of times what happens is we'll see it with the servant. We'll see it with the maid servant, whether it's a guy or gal, that sometimes even the success gets to their head and they're just not ready for that. And so he says, this is a, a really hard thing that, that you know we can't put up with. Secondly, he talks about the fool um, when he's filled with food. And so I, I think this is probably a rich glutton. <laughs> it's, it's a rich glutton, indulgent and ungrateful. Thirdly, he mentions a wife, uh, a hateful woman, when she is married. And we've seen pro- uh, Proverbs talk about this. Solomon talked about how difficult it is to live with a contentious woman how sometimes you just want to go to the corner of the house, how other times you want to go to the rooftop and escape, and how if it just continues, the contention, how you want to live in the wilderness, you'd rather be there, right? And of course we know that it's not just women, it's men. But, you know, for, for all of us here, um, we have to examine our life. Lord, Lord, don't let this be me. And then again, the maidservant, similar to the man, success has gone to her head, uh, she's not uh, ready for it. Verse 24 says, There are four things which are little on the earth, but they are exceedingly wise. The ants are a people, not strong, yet they prepare their food in the summer. The rock badgers are a feeble folk, yet they make their homes in the crags. The locusts have no king, yet they all advance in ranks. And the spider skillfully grasps with its hands and it is in king's palaces. And so are you guys like me? When you look at these things, you're like, wow, look at what God made. Doesn't it bring God glory, right? The creation, I, I think it does. And so um, you can learn lessons from anything that, that God has made. And so I encourage you to learn about it. Uh, the ants are uh, amazing. These are all, in one sense, um, small but sometimes, um, I remember one time David Hawking, I don't know if you guys know who David Hawking is. He's a big uh, pastor from back in the day, and he met my wife, and she's really small. He's all, hey, 
This is my wife, I'm out. This is my wife, Shelly. So, hey, dynamite comes in small packages. Huh? He knew it. And it's true, you know. And these little ants, you're like, what can I learn from a little ant? And man, you can learn so much. They're wise, they're strong, they're prepared for the, the rainy day. Um, ants are amazing. They're able to hold their necks, are able to hold 5,000 times their weight. And uh, there's this one ant, it's called a leaf cutter ant. And so you guys go home and you can check it out. They're the strongest ants, and they're able to lift 50 times their body weight with their jaws. And so you'd be like you going outside to a car and grabbing it with your mouth and lifting it up. And so um, for us, like, what do you mean, man? You can't be that strong oh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, right? We learn from the ants. We learn from the rock badgers. I remember when we went to Israel and we saw these little hydraxes in the rocks and like, man, how did they make their homes there, even though they're not strong or durable? You know, but they do. The locusts, they advance. How do they advance when they don't have a king? They do it by teamwork. They do it by cooperation. It's a beautiful lesson for us. And then there are the spiders and how they use their, their little uh, scopulae. They're millions and billions of little hairs, and they're able to crawl up on the walls. And you guys have ever heard that saying, location, location, location? There they are living in the king's palaces, right? <laughs> and so um, he's just saying you, you learn lessons uh, from all these Spiders are a trip, huh? How many of you here, anyone here afraid of spiders? The big ones? So some people freak out on spiders. You know, my wife said, oh, you're afraid, huh? I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm just going to kill it. Don't worry. <laughs> but I'm a little bit like, okay, this is going to jump out at me. But I just trip out on how they go and they fall and they, their webs. I mean, it's just so amazing to me. Okay, verse 29, there are three things which are majestic in pace, just four which are stately in walk. A lion, which is mighty among beasts and does not turn away from any. A greyhound, a male goat also, and a king whose troops are with him. And so now we're kind of contrasting uh, from the smaller creatures into these majestic creatures, the lion, the king of the jungle, uh, the greyhound. Uh, you guys didn't know buses were in the Bible, huh, right here. Some translations say it's a strutting rooster. I don't know. These are like majestic creatures, right? Um, it talks about um, the uh, male goat and then uh, the king whose troops are with him. Um, when a king's troops are supportive uh, as an army, it's almost invincible. You remember David and his mighty men? That's kind of what he's talking about. And so verse 32 is kind of interesting. We close the psalm in once, when I was looking at it, I'm like, hey, it's kind of like the same way we started it, in a very humble, honest way. He says in verse 32, if you have been foolish in exalting yourself, or if you have devised evil, put your hand on your mouth, for as the churning of milk produces butter and wringing the nose produces blood, so the forcing of wrath produces strife. And so, you know, if you've exalted yourself, what he's saying right here, um, if you've kind of talked, you know, smack and, you know, whatever, you're stirring things up with your words, you might want to do whatever you can. You know, put your hand over your mouth. We have duct tape if you need it, whatever, whatever it takes um, just to stop stirring it up. Because when you stir it up, he says, it's like the butter from the milk. It's like the blood from the beating. It produces strife for life. And I'll tell you what, if there's one thing that I need 
you know, to know, and I think that if it's true for me, it's probably true for all of us here, is just, you know, tame your tongue. Don't say words that you don't need to say. You know, words of anger or words that you might belittle someone. Um, be really careful with your mouth, you know, because if we don't you know, say the right things, if we're not silent when we should be, then, I mean, it can do so much damage. The verbal abuse, the lifelong memories that we put because of words we shouldn't have said. And so I think it's kind of cool the way he ends it, you know, um, I think in a humble way.